Welcome to the Climb Your Mountain podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Maurer, a certified personal trainer, high altitude mountaineer, and ultra runner. Each week, I show you how to train, eat, think, and live like a mountaineer so you can boost your chances of reaching the summit. My passion is to empower people of all ages and sizes to get outside and live lives of adventure. Remember, mountain climbing will never be easier than today. So let's dive into the show. Would you like to be one of those badasses that's still climbing, running, skiing, and kicking ass into their 70s, 80s, and even 90s? Me too. But in order to have a chance of getting there, we really need to take care of our bodies and especially our joints. Our bodies are like cars. Even the best ones experience wear and tear over time. The good news is that making little changes to your training and technique can pay off later. And the sooner you start, the better. So in today's podcast episode, I'll share five simple ways to reduce wear and tear on your body. Ready? Let's do this. Today's episode is brought to you by my course, Mountain Fit Self-Coaching for Mountain Athletes. So congratulations, you've signed up for a mountaineering trip or a long distance trek. Now, how the French toast do you get in shape for it? You could hire a coach to help you, but the ones who actually understand our sport are so damn expensive. And even if you get a good one, no coach is ever going to understand your lifestyle, your schedule, and your body the way that you do. The truth is you will always be your own best coach. You just need to know what to do and when to do it. That's why I created Mountain Fit. This online masterclass is the roadmap you've been looking for to help you reach your fitness goals. In this course, I walk you step-by-step through everything you need to transform yourself into a diesel-powered hiking machine, even if you're starting from absolute zero. By the end, you'll know how to assess your fitness level, write a training plan that gets results, and choose the best exercises for your goals. And if you need a starting point, I've included 40 weeks, that's 40 weeks, of training plans you can adapt for your own season. So stop wasting thousands of dollars on Tracy, the big box gym trainer who has never hiked a day in her life. Learn how to train yourself with Mountain Fit. To check it out, just click the link in the show notes. Hope to see you in there. Hey friends, how you doing? I am so stoked right now as I'm recording this. We're about six days away from our Grand Canyon trip where we're going to walk across the Grand Canyon and back in one day. It's called the Grand Canyon R to R to R. And actually, as you're listening to this, I think it drops on Tuesday. Hopefully, I'm already done with all that and I'm either sitting in a hot tub somewhere or on a vortex in Sedona, just like recovering, rejuvenating, refilling all my energy after just an awesome trip across the Grand Canyon. So wish me luck. Definitely check on the Instagram for updates if you want to follow along. There's not great cellular service at the Grand Canyon, unfortunately. I've heard it's improved since we were there two years ago, but I'll do my best to keep you informed. So yeah, let's dive into the topic for today. This is a perfect topic for just before the Grand Canyon because I am actually hiking across the Grand Canyon with one of my my best friends, favorite hiking buddies. She's going to do this huge hike. It's 45 miles. It's 11,000 feet of gain all in one day. And you know what? She's, I believe, 66 years old. She is one of the most amazing natural athletes I know. She is able to do amazing things at an older age. I really hope 
hope to have her on the podcast one day just because I want to hear all her. I'm always asking her for her secrets and she's always just like, oh, you know, it's my breathing or, <laughs> or I was born this way or she's actually from Colorado. So she's like being a native helps. But yeah, maybe if we bring her on the podcast, we can actually get some secrets out of her. That would be really fun. So definitely listen for the episode with Gail. But yeah, she's doing that with me. And I, it's made me really think about just our bodies. And I think a lot of us, especially as we move into this lifestyle where we do a big adventure travel trip every year, we train for it, maybe do a mountain every year. How do we make sure that we're able to keep doing that as long as possible? It really starts with just taking great care of ourselves, taking care of our bodies, really starting to treat ourselves like Olympic athletes. And, you know, I've talked a few about a few things on the podcast you can do as far as your overall health, your food, your sleep. But today I just want to share a couple of little tweaks and hacks that may seem small, but they make a huge difference to how much wear and tear you're putting on your body. So let's dive into those now. Before we dive in too fast, <laughs> let's actually talk a little bit about what the research says about aging and endurance athletes, which we are as hikers, as mountaineers, as trail runners, ultra runners, all the things, right? So first of all, it's important to understand we, we don't know a whole lot about what's going to happen to us yet. This is such an emerging area of research. I did another podcast. I'll put a link to the show notes where I go a little bit deeper into this. But yeah, for a long time, there really were no endurance athletes or very few like running marathons in their 60s, running ultras in their 70s, doing big cycling races in their 80s. And now they're becoming more common. People are getting healthier. People are getting more excited about exercise. I think the pandemic is going to be a huge force changing this. And people want to keep doing these things until an older age. So we're finally just now getting to the point where maybe we can learn a little bit about what happens to the body as people, as athletes, keep competing when they're 50 and above. But here's a few just capsule summary of the most important things you need to know. First rule is use it or lose it. You can have an off season, you can take a vacation, but do also have an active season every year where you're training, where you're going on. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be like a huge trip, like I'm gonna go climb Aconcagua or Mount Rainier or something like that. But do have an active season where you're getting out doing some challenging things and training for them every year, even if no single one of those is huge. That's really important. It's really when we stop training and kind of let our bodies sit that we start to see declines in things like VO2 max, things like lactate threshold. And that that starts even in our 30s, but becomes a lot more accelerated after 50s. So just kind of get in that mindset, like every year I'm going to do something cool <laughs> and start thinking about making your lifetime plan, your bucket list for what that's going to be. As we get older into our 40s, 50s and beyond, the two big challenges we have to deal with are, number one, we are more prone to injury as we get older. If you think about it, it makes sense, right? Like our joints, our connective tissue, our bones, our muscles, they all kind of take a beating through the years. And our physiology, our ability to heal once something becomes inflamed, once something becomes hurt, it takes longer, right? Just because that's just the way our bodies age. So 
you'll notice as I'm going through these tips, a lot of them have to do with injury prevention and rehabilitation. I think they all do actually in one way or another. The other thing that becomes different as we get older is we need more recovery time. And this totally goes along with preventing injury. If you remember, I talk about this a lot when we're exercising, it actually makes us weaker, right? And it's resting that makes us stronger. And if we rest long enough, we'll actually get stronger than we were before we did the workout that's called super compensation. And this process works exactly the same in older people as far as we know, but they do need more time for our body just to go through that cycle. So more rest, in order to get that super compensation effect. And it's really important that we build that into our training plans, into our schedules. And I'm also gonna talk about some ways that you can do that. So I know you're dying to hear the specifics, the tips, the little hacks you can do to reduce wear and tear on your body. So let's dive into those. Number one, I want you to, if you're not doing it already, absolutely use trekking poles. And if you're kind of a, a holdout on the trekking poles, I totally get it. I remember, I was, I'm old enough to remember when trekking poles became popular in the United States. It was probably about 20 years ago. People in Europe, I think, have been using them much longer. But yeah, here they've kind of started showing up in the night, like the late 1990s. And I remember just looking at them and laughing. And I'm like, ah, those are for, for old people. Like even though people of all ages were using them. And I was like, I'm just tough. And I was in my 20s at the time. So I'm like, I don't need no trekking poles. Like, that's the silliest thing. And the thing that changed my mind is in, I was actually living in Bangkok and I was scheduled to go on a trip to Kilimanjaro. And I get the packing list and they're like, you absolutely must bring training poles where they're like, you absolutely must bring hiking poles. We're actually going to be descending about 8,000 feet the day after summit day. We come almost all the way down to the bottom. Can't do it without trekking poles. Make sure you bring some. So <laughs> I actually had to find some in Bangkok, which is next to impossible at the time. It might be different now, but yeah, hiking's not really a thing there. They have a North Face store, but it, it was kind of limited in what it had. So I'm on like the Thailand equivalent of Craigslist, and I finally found another expat that had some. I, I put like an ad out that was like, does anyone have trekking poles? And someone contacted me. So was able to score some took him to Kilimanjaro, used him, was absolutely just floored and really angry with myself. I'm like, I don't know why I didn't use these, like start using these years ago when uh, the first time I saw them, I just couldn't believe how my body felt. I had basically hiked down about eight to 10,000 feet on that, that last day after we had gone to the summit and we're pretty tired and just was amazed. I didn't have as much soreness, my quads weren't sore no soreness in the knees or the hips. And what was kind of fun was the upper body felt a little bit sore. I'm like, oh, that's that's really cool. So definitely, definitely made me a believer. And I hope you will become a believer too. It really is one of the best things you can use to make sure you're not putting too much wear and tear on your knees and hips specifically. And not only is it important to use the trekking poles, but it's really useful to learn to use them properly. So that means that you're actually pushing a little bit behind you on the way up. You might, if you watch people, some people like actually plant in front of them when they're going up, you want them to be long enough and you can adjust them a lot of times so that they're long enough so that you're actually pushing the ground behind you. And you'll know you're doing it right if after a big uphill, not necessarily right after, but the next day you feel some soreness in the 
the chest, the shoulders, the arms. There's also a technique to going downhill. You might need to adjust the height of your poles to make them a little bit longer so that you're able to stop yourself without reaching your arm too far down. It just makes you much more efficient. And then it's just a really good idea to to find a way to use the poles that works for you. So for example, I'm five foot one and I have a pretty nice, like sturdy body, like knees are not too bad, hips are not too bad. I use them going up, but I don't normally use them going down if it's a smooth trail. However, I'm always holding them in my hand. And if you see a big step that goes down, especially with my little short legs, like short people, y'all know what I'm talking about. I'll like whip those poles out, have them in both hands and just plant them at the bottom of that step and use it either to step down or if I'm feeling sassy, like swing down like a gymnast, it's actually kind of fun. So trekking poles, absolute must have if you don't have those already. Um, I'll put a link to the show notes and to the ones I have. They're really awesome for women. Uh, the same brand has some great options for men as well or taller women. Sometimes taller women like to use guys trekking poles. Totally, totally fine. Number two, this is such a funny one. And I, it's one that I actually came upon fairly late in life and wish I had found earlier. And I learned it from trail running and that is to hike quietly. So this is what I want you to do next time you're out hiking and you're going downhill, especially. I want you to listen to your footfalls and just notice how much noise is there. Is it is your foot like slapping and crushing against the rock? And is that sending a shock through your body so that your pack actually lifts up and slaps you in the back? And if so, you're actually absorbing a lot of that shock with your body, with your skeleton, kind of fast. And you might want to change your technique. So the easiest way to practice this is to find a hill that's kind of steep, maybe something that's a little bit rocky or pebbly, something with scree. That actually, when it's crunchy, it actually makes it easier to hear your footfalls. And then just practice walking down that as quietly as possible. This means making all your joints as soft as they possibly can be so that you're absorbing the shock before you move all the way through the motion. You might need to shut off your music in order to do this and just so you can listen really carefully. It's kind of fun to do this with friends and see who can be the most quiet. There's some people that can be like really, really quiet, which is fun. Maybe you're going to be one of them. And the bonus about learning to hike quietly, especially if you're a scrambler or a mountaineer, is that this sort of movement is really important for rock fall. If you think about it, if you're climbing up a steep slope and you've got teammates coming up behind you, you're very conscious of rockfall, right? So if your feet are just kind of slapping and making all kinds of shock against the rock, it, you're more likely to knock rocks down on the people below you, as opposed to if you're just stepping very softly, the shock is being absorbed before your foot even hits that little rock on the ledge, and you're going to be much less likely to kick it down on someone below you and really hurt them. So this is such a good skill in so many ways, but especially for your descent and for just reducing wear and tear on your joints. So tip number three, I want you, and we're going to start moving a little bit away from technique here and maybe into some more planning and training hacks that you can do 
And tip number three is going to be take an off season. There's so many people that just grind through like four seasons of outdoor stuff. They're trail running, they're, you know, mountaineering all year round. And they just never really give themselves a break to just kind of recover and let their bodies heal and let them do other things. So a few podcasts ago, I did an episode about having a three-year plan for your outdoor life and then also making an annual training plan for each of those years and how to set that up. So I'll put a link in the show notes to that episode if you want to review it. But kind of the gist of it is at least a few months of the year, you want to cut back, you want to be still active, still fit, still having fun, but you want it to be way less structured, not in an active build phase and possibly doing another sport. And why do we do this? A, it's like really great for our mind as well as our body. Our body needs to recover. If you think about like all the wear and tear on your joints that go into a training season where you're building for months and months, your body can't do that all the time. It needs a break. We shouldn't be living our lives like we're about to climb Mount Rainier tomorrow. We actually can't. So like physiologically, we can't be peaked all the time. We can actually only hold it for a few weeks if we really do it right. So it's totally fine and completely normal to come down, have that off season and do something different. It's also good for our our mind, right? Our mind does not like to be in training all the time and adhering to the strict schedule and eating right. And if you do things like not drinking during training, like you also need a break sometimes just to come back and be a kid, be a normal person. So also really important to prevent burnout. So how can you do an off season? One thing I really recommend is try to find a second sport or it can be a winter sport like cross country skiing is a really good one. Mountain biking is a good one. If your winters are kind of warm, you're in a warmer area. And the reason that we want a second sport is that it's going to use different muscle groups while at the same time allowing us to maintain some fitness. So if you go out and if you mountain bike, you know that's like really good for your cardio. It's really fun. You're definitely going to be able to stay in shape, but you're putting different forces on your joints, on your muscles, which means it's easier to heal some of the things that maybe got ground up or inflamed or imbalanced during your mountaineering training. And another thing to keep in mind, you don't want to go too crazy on the off season, you want to keep it really fun, really unstructured, just doing things you enjoy with people you enjoy. You're not really on a training plan or a schedule. One thing I do want you to do is keep a few intense workouts in the mix. So that helps to maintain your VO2 max with that. You do that with the, the short, hard intervals. And then maybe you do some medium intensity, medium length intervals to help maintain your lactate threshold. And as I mentioned above, this is part of the use it or lose it principle. If we want to hold on to our fitness, our endurance as we age, it's important that we keep doing some intense workouts year round, but maybe it's just once a week. It doesn't have to be anything crazy at all during the off season. And in fact, it's better if it's not. So let's move to number four. And this is one I'm always astounded how often people just don't even know this that have been training for years and years. And this is to cycle your training weeks, especially during the big buildup phase that you do towards a big trip. So what does that mean? It means every two to five weeks, 
you're gonna build, 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 and then you're gonna take an easy week. And this is not a week of full rest. You're not sitting on the couch watching Netflix. It's just an easier version of your normal workout. So for example, if you do two high intensity workouts a week in this, this easy week, maybe you're just gonna do one. Or if you normally do like a half day hike for your training hike, maybe you're just going to go out for the morning just for a couple of hours. So if you want to put numbers to that, you're going to cut your weekly training time by 30 to 50% generally. And that could, how do you decide? It could really depend on just how you're feeling. If you're really tired, cut back 50%. If you're going pretty strong, maybe it's just 30%. Now there's a cool, a few cool things about cycles that a lot of people don't realize. So I'll share a few tips with you. First of all, you can use cycles to work around interruptions. So for example, let's say that in the middle of your big buildup phase, when you're getting ready for a mountaineering trip, you actually have a family reunion in another state and you really want to go to that. All you got to do is just make that your easy week. <laughs> that might mean that your, your cycle before is a little shorter or longer, but that's okay. That's no big deal. You're just going to come back into your normal cycle after you have that easy week. And you can make it a very easy week if you want. Cut back 50% or whatever you need to. And then just jump back in on the other side and keep on going. If you use cycles in this way, you almost never have to have an interruption. Unless you have two that are kind of close together, that gets hard. But you can absorb a lot of things just by changing the length of your training cycles. Another thing people don't realize that's really helpful is you can change your cycle length as you're getting closer to your peak training. So peak training's the, the part where it's the hardest couple of weeks where you're really, really going hard, going long. Maybe you have like 10 to 15 hours of cardio scheduled during that time, depending on what kind of trip you're getting ready for. So you might find that if you're normally on a four week cycle, maybe that won't work anymore. Maybe you're getting tired. So you want to drop to a three week cycle or even a two week cycle where you're like one week build, one week rest, one week build, one week rest. That is totally fine. It is always better to go into a build week rested so that you're able to just give it, go at those workouts with lots of energy, really do them well. It's way better than just kind of struggling through them and you're not even like really doing them almost because you're just so exhausted. If, if that's what's happening, definitely think about short the cycle. Another thing to be aware of is older athletes can use shorter cycles for if they need more recovery time. So maybe in your 30s, you're doing just fine on that four-week cycle where it's three weeks build, one week easy. But maybe as you go into your 50s, you go to a three-week cycle. Maybe in your 70s, it's a two-week cycle. Maybe it's four weeks the whole time. I mean, everyone's like incredibly, incredibly different. But just keep that in mind. If you're an athlete that's a little bit older and you're feeling more tired than you think you should, try shortening the cycle and see what happens. It might be a really good thing to do. Number five, this is one, another one a lot of people resist, but so important. You really need to find a good physical therapist. Don't do what a lot of people do in my Facebook group. And they go in, they're like, hi, guys, I got some hip pain. <laughs> what do I do? And then like everyone that's ever had hip pain will, will jump in and let them say what works for them. And you know, they're trying to be helpful. There's nothing wrong with that. But they're not experts. They don't know your body. They don't know what's going on with your body. You probably don't even know what's going on with your body, right? 
That's why you're asking. And what you really need is someone in your corner that can really just diagnose and help you rehabilitate the problem and just get back to 100% as fast as possible. So in America, we call that person that works with rehabilitating injuries, a physical therapist. I think in some countries, it's a physiotherapist. Um, you might even have other names, apologies if I don't know them. But basically, this is a person that can assess your joint pain, assess your repetitive stress injuries. They look at things like muscle imbalances, tight muscles, movement issues, range of motion problems, and they just really help you usually by giving you exercises, balance everything back out so that your body is functioning the way it should and that area can heal. And why is this so important for endurance athletes? Really think about it. Like we are the ones that are famous for getting repetitive stress injuries. And it makes sense when you think about what we do. For example, you might go for a hike and you might take like 20,000 steps during that hike. So your foot's slapping against the ground 20,000 times. That's a huge number of times. And let's say that that foot that's slapping, you have a knee injury on that side. And because that knee is a little bit injured, a little bit sore, the other muscle, you're moving incorrectly. And then muscles that wouldn't normally be working are working. And then maybe your hip starts to hurt because it's like taking up some of the slack for your knee that's not going all the way through the range of motion. So if you like slap that foot on the ground 20,000 times and go through this dysfunctional movement, that's just the recipe right there for repetitive stress injury, right? That's how it happens to us. And if you've ever had anything like plantar fasciitis or hiker's knee or bursitis in your hip, like these are all things that are really, really preventable, but we really need to catch them early, rehabilitate them. And that's where it's so important to have a good physical therapist that you can consult at ideally early rather than later when the damage is already done. So a lot of people do resist spending money on healthcare. And I'm in the United States where our healthcare is ridiculously expensive. Even if you have insurance, you probably pay out of your pocket still for physical therapy. So it can seem hard to fork that money over. You might be like, oh, I'll just go on YouTube and see if I can figure out how to fix it. <laughs> but really the way I want you to think about it is therapy is and rehabilitation, they are an investment in your future. If you get a repetitive stress injury, you're going to be off trail. If you get a really bad one, it can affect you in the long term. So just really, really, really think about your body as the most important not the most, it's probably like not more important than your kids and your family and stuff like that, but one of the most important things. And really, if you're drinking lots of coffee or alcohol or something, maybe stop doing that, put that money aside and use it on physical therapy. Definitely, definitely, definitely worth it in my humble opinion. So friends, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for listening. If this raised any questions for you, feel free to reach out as always. Um, you can join our Facebook group. There's a link in the show notes to jump in there if you're not already in there. You can also email me through my website. Always happy to do that for folks who aren't on Facebook or message me on Instagram. I'm on Instagram way too much. But yeah, feel free to, if there are any questions this brought up or things that worked for you you'd like to share, I would love to hear from you. Otherwise, I'll talk to you next week. Take care. 
Hey friend, if you're enjoying the pod, there are two simple and free ways you can show your support. First of all, please share this with a friend who might find it helpful. And second, please leave a review on iTunes. Your support means the world to me. Thanks so much for tuning in. 